My family enjoys a good parade, or at least we used to when the kids were young, right? Throwing out candy and all that. Uh, we watched a bit of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, right? And uh, we, local parades are, are good when we get a chance. Um, granted, we've also had, you know, horrific news of violence at a parade, you know, so I understand this. But um, I just want to think about this because I've been in conversation with uh, lots of pastors in our region about kind of the, the people in this area with the job transition potential and the, the transient nature of, of people who live here, well, temporarily. I wouldn't say they dwell here, you know, we got an option to move out, to go these different places. Um, it's actually really rare for people nowadays to stick around in a community for a, a long time, and churches are feeling it, uh, for sure. Now, some of these pastors say that ministry in Seattle is like pastoring a parade. People just continually going by, going by. And as as pastors, uh, church leaders, disciple makers, we can't assume that you're going to be here for 20 years. No, those that can stick around and do, we bless you. You actually provide the backbone, the foundation, the funding of a church that's able to care for those who kind of do come and go. Now, I don't have access to the, the financial books, but if you look around, it's obvious that we have some generous givers who have stayed consistent over the long haul in the midst of all this transition. What a blessing. You know, but there are questions around this that I'm wrestling with. Are, are we as a church equipped to train people to live as Christians if we only get to interact with you for a short time? This is what the elders are talking about. Are we equipping people to be the church and to be able to start churches? <laughs> if, if, if you only had 18 months with us, would you be equipped to start a gathering of Jesus followers? If, if our elders, including me, got scattered in 18 months, do we have a plan to hand over leadership to trained women, trained men, to see the church flourish? If we were scattered all over, would the gospel die out like separated coals? Or would it start a brush fire? Well, a, a good brush fire. Would it, would it start that? I ask because churches aren't in the most stable position in our society these days. So would we spread like seed onto the highways and byways, the mountains and the valleys? As we come to this pivot point in Acts 11, 9 through 30, we hear of the church scattered. Now, I want you to think with me how, why of the scattering, uh, the what and the how the church flourished. And I want you to think with me through these questions of, of what's in your heart that could spread like a like fire, like seed. So why did they get scattered? Well, a religious young zealot, a, a young man named Saul started the persecution. He was the scatterer. He was breathing threats after murdering Stephen, and he was ready to go and find all these people. That all these Christians that have left the left Jerusalem, and now he's going to go find them wherever they are and stamp out these coals before they start a fire. 
Many who had been hanging out in Jerusalem away from home, they were there for the festivals and then the community because the Spirit of God had fallen. Many of them who had been hanging out have now left and gone their way. It just proves that some seeds grow when they get trampled. Of course, the miracle we cling to is the revelation of Jesus and the commissioning of Saul the scatterer, to become Paul the proclaimer. We see this, this radical transformation of the gospel in our own lives and in the lives of, of someone like Saul the scatterer. He becomes Paul the gatherer, and the scattered believers begin to gather the church. Let's read in Acts 11, starting in 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, before you say, well, how partisan? Well, I don't think they were trying to keep the Gentiles or the Greeks out. I think they were just traveling to these places, back to their homes, back to the places where they had come from. And they hung out with people they would normally connect with, right? They're Jewish folk. But there were some, verse 20, some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, so that's North Africa as well as the island of Cyprus, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, Hellenistas, uh, Greek speakers, also preaching the Lord, Je preaching the Lord Jesus, it says. They're gospeling Jesus as the Lord. He's the one. And it says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Oh, Lord, build the church. The, the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. You see that metaphor, turning to the Lord? It, it takes deliberate action. Okay, I'm going to turn, so I need to watch my feet. <laughs> I need to turn and I need to move in this direction. And sometimes it takes a lot of work to turn around. My friend Chris and I picked up a piano the other day and in this big old box truck, right? And he picked me up in a really tight parking lot. And to turn that thing around, it required me to jump out, stop traffic, guide him into backing it up. In fact, on the way back home, as he was dropping me back off to get my car, instead of doing that whole process of turning around, I just jumped out in the middle of traffic, well, safely, at a stoplight, um, hit the crosswalk, uh, to avoid him having to do the circle one more time and go through that tight parking lot. I, I want to ask you, are you ready for a U-turn, ready to turn to the Lord? Do you need help backing up and turning that life around? Well, that, that's what we're here for as a family. That's what we do. We turn to the Lord. That requires a change in what we're looking at. Okay, we've been looking this direction. Now we need to turn and look the other direction. We need to look at Jesus. We turn from the things that are that are causing destruction, the path that leads to destruction, and we turn to face Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face. Not a quick glance like you do on the highway, you know, when you see that accident or the brush fire, the, the rubberneckers, you know, like, whoa, what was, what was all that? Not just sneaking a peek. We look into his face. Turn to Jesus. Verse 21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this, this turning to the Lord, uh, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
Okay, so let's talk about Antioch real quick. But uh, it's a Syrian city, a major city in the Roman world, where everyone and uh, everyone and his brother, right? Anyone going anywhere with goods to trade would pass through Antioch. All right, Antioch had all the goods, all the gods, all the languages, all the colors, all the cultures. So how would the Jewish story of God's salvation find its way in such a place? Hmm. So Antioch is, is, if you look at the, the tip of Cyprus, it kind of points up into that harbor area. And just up um, the, by the mouth of that river is Antioch, a, a very multicultural place. So how would the Jewish story of God's salvation find its way in such a place. So think with me. When an observant Jew finds Jesus, it looks one way. When a Greek, Roman, you know, Gentile, turns to Jesus, it looks another way. So if, if, if you're as a, as a Jew are trained in the teachings of Yahweh, the true creator God from whom all blessings flow, he's the one that you look to for for security, comfort, identity. Right? Your, your life is lived with daily prayers and expectation of the Messiah and the restoration of the people of God. So Saul, for example, when the revelation of Yahweh in the face of Jesus came to him, he turned to Jesus. His life was charging toward Yahweh just devoutly going toward Yahweh, and then he found Jesus. And, and it was a dramatic redirect for sure, uh, because the expectation was that the Messiah would not die. He would bring his people together. But this crucified Christ, whoa, what do we do with that? It was a tripping hazard, a stumbling block for Jews. And it took a lot of thinking and rethinking for Saul, but then his identity and story is locked in and complete, and he knows who he is in Christ, in the Messiah. But if you're a Greek, if you're a Gentile, a Roman, uh, outside of the Jewish population, you're in for a dramatic 20-point U-turn in the middle of a busy street. <laughs> back up a little, now forward, okay, now back a little, now hard right, you know, turn... A crucified Jewish peasant has a claim to the universe? King of kings, Lord of lords? Mm. Well, even, even when you do accept the truth, you've been locked in by the power of sin to all the gods you've relied upon for security, safety, pleasure, identity, family, business, crops, right? And on and on. So here we are in the Church of Antioch, and Barnabas is coming to see what is going on as these people are returning to, to be allegiant to Jesus. Uh, the passage goes on, it says, When Barnabas came, he saw the grace of God. <laughs> saw the grace. How do you see the grace? You see the gift of God and, and how God has, has poured himself out among a people. He saw the grace of God, and he was glad, and he exhorted them. That's a, that's a strong word, to, to all remain faithful, true, uh, full of faith, right? Uh, loyal, full of allegiance to the Lord with steadfast purpose. You've got to hang with them. Because Barnabas, it says, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. 
Mm, let's be Barnabas. <laughs> and a great many people were added to the Lord. And so now this great many people are added. So Barnabas went to Tarsus. It's a long walk around the map there or straight across on a, on a boat. He goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, not far from there in Constantinople um, in AD 400, uh, a leader in the church, we call them church fathers, John Chrysostom said this, surely they were called Christians because Paul spent such a long time with them. For a whole year, it says, they met with the church and taught a large company of people. And in Antioch, the disciples were for the first time called Christians. This is no small praise for the city, but enough to match it against all cities. For Antioch was the first city before all the others to have the benefit of listening to Paul for so long. And because of this, the people there were the first to be deemed worthy of the name. Okay, I'll, I'll go on with John, but are you catching what I'm catching? They have the teaching of Paul the Apostle right in front of them. Just imagine the, the benefit, the blessing. Wait, you're like, I have that in my Bible. Yes, we do. What a treasure. Do we, do we think of it as a treasure? Yeah, I hope so. He goes on, says, look at the success of Paul, to what heights it raised, like a standard, that name. Elsewhere, 3,000 or 5,000 or so great a number believed, but nothing like this. Elsewhere, believers were called they of the way. Here they were given the name Christians. So this Greek title, Christ, is a Greek title of a Hebrew word translated into English. It's not Jesus' last name, as we often say. It's a title. It's Greek, uh, title of a Hebrew word translated into English. And, and in Greek, it's Christianoi. It's the, 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 the little, the Christs, you know, those, those Christ people. But Christ, even the title, tells a story. It means the anointed one, because what's the Hebrew word behind that is Messiah. The Messiah, the Mashiach, is the smeared one, <laughs> smeared, smeared with oil. And the Mashiach is smeared with oil for the highest of purposes. If you are to be king, you are smeared with oil, Mashiach. If you're to be the high priest, you're smeared with oil. You're Mashiach, Messiah. If you are the soon and coming one to lead Israel to righteousness, to gather the people of God, to purify a people, you are the smeared one with oil. Mashiach, Messiah, the Christ. To, to even say, Lord Jesus Christ, Kyrion Yesun Christon, is to tell the gospel story of God's power 
and his wisdom and his appearing and his salvation and 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 to just say lord jesus the christ tells a story R revere that name right and for me to say oh don't cuss doesn't quite cut it does it it's the story wrapped up in the name saul later or also called Paul among his Greek fellows, would write to the church, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 21 through 25. He said, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, we'll just prove it, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's what Christ is. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, so they were called Christianoi, Christians, by the outsiders. What a slam. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to be mistaken for a, a smeared one? A Messiah person? The king's people? Like, like oh, they're just like Christ. Ugh, the anointed ones. Yes, indeed. <laughs> okay, so if outsiders burst into your home uh, this weekend... And they searched for evidence as to whether or not you had given your allegiance to Jesus. You, you were living like one of these anointed ones. What do you think? You're a king? Or you think you're a priest? You think you're smeared? You think you're a Mashiach? You think you're a Messiah person? Pes, pesky pastor question. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? drag you into court and say, this person is a follower of Jesus the Messiah. Just look at his life. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? I, I want to go back again to, uh, to old days, uh, church father Gregory of Nyssa. Not, this isn't really very far from Antioch. It's in, uh, he's in the late 300s AD in Cappadocia, uh, modern-day Turkey. Um, I want to read an excerpt at length about this term Christian because I want you to be a, a Barnabas. And, and I want to be a Barnabas to you, just like Barnabas was an encouragement to the believers in Antioch to encourage you to remain steadfast in your loyalty to Jesus Christ. Kyrion Jesum Christon. Lord Jesus Christ. Allow me to read this to you. It's got a, a ton of... Um, allusions, quotations from the New Testament about who Jesus is. He says this, Paul most of all knew what Christ is. As he indicated by what he did, the kind of person named for him, imitating him so brilliantly that he revealed his own master in himself. His life was a revelation of who Jesus was. His own soul being transformed through his accurate imitation of his prototype, so that Paul no longer seemed to be living and speaking, but Christ himself seemed to be living in him. 
as this astute perceiver of particular goods says, do you seek proof of the Christ who speaks in me? Whoa, the Christ speaking in me. And he says this, and it is now no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. Christian for sure. <clears throat> Paul, he goes on, says, knew the significance of the name of Christ for us saying that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And he called him peace and light inaccessible, in whom God dwells, and sanctification and redemption, and great high priest, and Passover, and a propitiation of souls, the brightness of glory and image of substance, the maker of the world, spiritual food, spiritual drink and spiritual rock, water, foundation of faith and cornerstone, the image of the invisible God and great God, and head of the body of the church, and the firstborn of every creature, firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, firstborn from the dead, firstborn among many brothers, and mediator between God and humanity, the only begotten Son, and crowned with glory and honor, and Lord of glory, and beginning of being, speaking thus of him who is the beginning, king of justice, and king of peace, and ineffable king of all, having the power of the kingdom, and many other such things that are not easily enumerated, says Gregory of Nyssa. He goes on, when all these phrases are put next to each other, each one of the terms makes its own contribution to a revelation of what is signified by being named after Christ. And each provides for us a certain emphasis. To the extent that we take these concepts into our souls, they are all indications of the unspeakable greatness of the gift for us. However, since the rank of kingship underlies all worth and power and rule, by this title, the royal power of Christ is authoritatively and primarily indicated for the anointing of kingship, as we learned in the historical books, comes first. And all the force of the other titles depends on that royalty. For this reason, the person who knows the separate elements included under it also knows the power encompassing these elements, but it is the kingship itself that declares what the title of Christ means. Therefore, since, thanks to our good master, we are sharers of the greatest and the most divine and the first of names, those honored by the name of Christ being called Christians, it is necessary that there be seen in us also all of the connotations of this name, so that the title might not be a misnomer in our case, but that our life be a testimony of it. Being something does not result from being called something. The underlying nature, whatever it happens to be, is discovered through the meaning attached to the name. This ends the quote of, of Gregory of Nyssa. He said, being something does not result from being called something. Right? Oh, I'm, I'm a Christian. Oh, says who? 
Is that what other people have said about you? They, they notice all of that in you? Oh, Jesus, <laughs> come and be with your people. If, if Jesus is Lord and Christ and we are his anointed people, yes, anointed by the Spirit who lives in us, then how shall we then live? In Acts 2, we've seen the Jerusalem church live together so that no one was in need, everything was shared. And now the scattered church is remembering to do the same thing, uh, claiming nothing is their own, giving to those in need, living as family. Hear this. This is the last part of the passage. Now in those days, these days, uh, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold that by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of, of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So this became a central feature of Saul, or now Paul, travel, his traveling to plant churches, to encourage churches, to keep the funds coming to those in need. We've seen this impulse for the scattered church to stay connected and generous as a family. The scattered church gathered as church to learn to submit their lives to the Lord Jesus, the Christ, to have his life be the very life that they breathe. The scattered church then brings the seeds of the gospel to the ends of the earth, and Jesus brings about the harvest. Now, I've been telling you that I'm offering to train you to be the scattered church like this, to be a disciple who knows how to make a disciple that can make a disciple, because that's what the Christian life is all about. So coming January 9th, uh, Sunday nights, 6 to 7.30, and then the next Tuesday morning, 10 to 11.30. And this is what I'm offering. And I, and I want to want to ask the pesky question again. If we were scattered, if you had to move or we all had to leave this town, would we spread like seed onto the highways and byways, the mountains and valleys? Or, or would we scatter like coals at the end of a campfire? I want to encourage your allegiance and loyalty to Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and stoke our passion for Jesus. May, may Jesus' praise be on our lips. May our lives tell the story of the gospel. And we, may we find great joy in the accusation of being just like Jesus.